1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. I'm going to speak to you this morning from the subject of how to sing and shout over the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. When you get there, as always, we, we stand a lot here, but this is in reference of uh, reading the living and powerful word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. Let's read. It says, Paul, Silvanus, or another name is Silas. You may know him better as Silas. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace to you. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example. Notice here the, the progression here. They received the word. They received the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they didn't just receive it. They received it in affliction, in persecution. And then... They didn't just receive it in affliction and persecution, but they received it in affliction and persecution with joy of the Holy Spirit. And because of the way they received the gospel and the way they responded to the gospel, it says, You became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere. They're talking about your faith everywhere. They hear about your faith everywhere. So that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you this morning and... Um, Lord, as I've already been praying, I just um, I pray that your word would sound forth this morning to us first. Lord, help us to receive your gospel the way this church received it. Help us to 
receive the gospel in such a way that it causes us to sing and shout over the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it sounds forth from us. Lord, I pray that you help us see the gospel this morning in such a way that, Lord, when we sing that you are mighty to save, God, that we truly understand and feel that you are mighty to save. Father, I pray that you help us to worship you in truth, not in uselessness, not in vain, not in repetition or in tradition. Father, I pray that we would be able to truly sing and shout because we feel it, because we believe with all of our heart what the gospel means to us. Father, I pray this morning that you open our minds and you open our hearts and you show us from your word how this can change our lives completely in the way that we worship and in the way the gospel sounds forth from our own lives. Father, change hearts this morning. This is your word and this is what it does. It changes us. So, Father, you accomplish your purpose. That's your promise, and I know you'll do it. Lord, it won't return unto you void. You will cause it to accomplish the purpose that you sent it out for. So, Father, I pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. This week is Holy Week. What I mean by Holy Week is this is a week that Many Christians observe uh, different days uh, uh, beginning today, as a matter of fact, uh, being Palm Sunday. But there will be several days that will be observed over the last week of Christ's life before His death, burial, and resurrection. And, and, and during this week of Holy Week, it is a, a time that we are moving up toward the Easter Sunday, the, the Sunday that, that culminates... The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the week that, that leads us up to celebrate and to sing and to shout that our Savior has saved us and that He is alive and by the right hand of the Father and that He is coming again to receive us and to take us to a home that He has prepared for us. That is the week that we are, are commemorating all of these things that take place. But the problem is this. Who will sing and shout over the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we truly understand and have experienced why the gospel is something to sing and shout about? See, here's what I believe. I believe that many of us today, not just in this church, but in the Christian faith in general, a big percentage are just going through the motions. Can you admit in your life, uh, if you've been in the Christian life very long, that there have been times in your life that you have caught yourself just going through the motions. And I think that that we lose sight of our understanding of what this gospel means. You know, I see people when they find something that, that gives them hope and they find something in life that, that, that causes them to celebrate and they see so much joy in and they will sing and they will shout about it from the mountaintops. But why is it that the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that very few you will actually see singing and shouting about. 
Why is it that I don't wake up in the mornings with a heart that wants to sing and shout for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for what it means to me? And I believe it is because we lack a understanding or maybe even lack a true experience of the gospel in our lives. And get this, if we're not singing and shouting over the good news, why would we bother to tell anyone else the good news? Or let's put it this way, maybe if you and I aren't telling anyone else the good news, it's because we don't see any reason to sing and shout about it. Now think about that. I don't say that to put you down. I say that to make us perk up this morning and, and self-examine and say, God, you know, he's got a point. He's got a point. If there's not something inside of me that wants to share this with people, then what am I missing? What am I missing? And What is it that I need to receive? I had to ask this from God myself. I said, God, what is it that I'm missing? Where, where have I got to in my Christian walk that I don't sing and shout about the gospel like I once did? What changed? Did you change God? No. God hasn't changed. Did the gospel message change? No, the gospel message hasn't changed. So what changed? Something in me changed. So this morning I want to talk to you from the subject of how to sing and shout over the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you notice again from the very beginning, this is Paul and this is Silas and this is Timothy. In the book of Acts, if you were to go back to Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas come into um, the, the, the city of Thessalonica and they're coming in to preach the gospel. And when they come in to preach the gospel, they were received by some Jews and some Gentiles, but then they came against great affliction. They actually came in and they, and I think you can find it in the book of Acts chapter 17. They came in and, and the men of the city were looking for Paul and Silas and Timothy and they came in looking for them and they came to a man's house named Jason where they had been meeting together to talk about the gospel. And when the men of the city came in to find them, they didn't find them, but instead they found the Christians of Thessalonica. They found Jason and the hometown people, the new converts of Thessalonica. And then they turn around and they drag them out of their house and they take them before the, uh, the rulers of this town. And they accused them of turning the world upside down. And they said, these guys come in and they are preaching that there's another king besides Caesar. They say the real king is Jesus. And because of that, if you know anything about the history of Roman history, if anybody declared any one king other than Caesar, what was the result of it? It was death. So look again at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says that Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, 
and the steadfast hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that he praises God for, he says, one of the things that we remember the most about you when we were with you is that there was a steadfast hope in you. Steadfast means immovable. It means that no matter what comes against you, that that hope remains. And he said, you had a steadfast hope in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But then he goes on in verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And then look at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Paul says, even in spite of the fact that they would drag you out of your houses and take everything you own, take all your property, all your possessions, your house away from you, they plundered all of your goods even in spite of the fact that you might have even lost your life. Look what he said again in verse 6. He says, you received the word with much affliction. You received it. In other words, you found so much hope in this word that no matter what came against you in this life, your hope did not decrease, it only increased. What kind of gospel did they hear that even when everything they had was taken away from them, their hope only increased and became even more immovable. Because, see, let's just be honest. The truth of us is we let a little burden come our way and we sit down and cry and go, God, why me? I can't believe this is happening to me. What have I ever done to deserve this? And then before long, we're ready to just quit. Before long, we're so ready to just give up. And these guys looked in the face of affliction and they heard the gospel and it gave them such a hope that they received it in that affliction. But not just did they receive it, but he says that they received it with so much joy. In other words, the joy of the Holy Spirit. There was a joy inside of them that no affliction could remove. And let's just face it, the truth of the matter with us, we have a hard time to even get up in the morning and find a reason to even smile. These guys were losing everything they owned, their lives were being threatened, and they still received the word with joy. And they were happy about it. This is something to think about, guys. What kind of gospel did Paul preach that they received in this way because that's the gospel I want to hear, right? That's the gospel I want you to hear this morning. We're going to hear it. Let's keep going. He goes on in uh, verse 7. He says, You received it in such a way that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And then in verse 8, he says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, in other words, he said, you received it in such a way with such joy that the way you sang about it and the way you shouted about the gospel that you received, it sounded forth from you. It came from your depths, from everything that was in you. It 
sounded from the mountaintops to everyone around you because you believed what you heard. And then he says that not only did it sound forth from you around you, but your faith in God has gone forth where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Paul said, everywhere I go, I hear about you guys' faith. Everywhere I go, I hear about the way that you guys are shouting and singing over the joy of Jesus Christ. He goes on. He says, so the fact that we don't even have to say anything. Ain't that something? Here's the preacher standing before the congregation and he says, Wells Baptist Church, <laughs> I don't even have to say anything. I don't have to say nothing to nobody anywhere because the Word of God is sounding forth from all of you. When you leave this place, you sing and you shout and you talk about what the gospel has done in your life and I don't have to say a word. So we have to ask the question, what was it that Paul preached that made these Thessalonians sing and shout over the word of Jesus Christ? We'll look at verse 9 and 10. He says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus. And here's the message of the gospel that they heard. Here's what they heard. Jesus delivers us from what? From the wrath to come. I'm going to get a little deeper into that here in just a second, but that's the gospel they heard. It was because they understood that Jesus delivered them from the wrath to come. Listen, Paul had warned them about, if you were to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 through 9, Paul warned them and told them that they knew something very well. Let's look at what he says here. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware... In other words, I don't have to tell you this. This is something you already know. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How does a thief in the night come? You don't ever expect it. You don't know when he's coming. Just all of a sudden you hear a bump and he's there. And that's the way it comes. You yourselves know fully that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will, will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. How many of us are sitting around day by day saying there's peace and there's security? We're just living our lives. As Luke chapter 17 said, in the, the days of the Son of Man, the days of the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. They ate, they drank, they built, they planted, they married, they were given in marriage until the day the flood came and wiped it all away. In other words, here's the thing about it. They were so caught up in the peace and the security of life and they were so caught up in this world and what this world offers that the day of the Lord came on them 
and wipe them away. We'll read that again. It says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. They will not escape. So here's the thing that he says. They knew well that while some people say there's peace and security, sudden destruction is coming. And the ones who are not in Christ will not escape it. But then he, believes, he, he encourages the believers in 4. In verse 4 he says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Don't get caught sleeping in this world. Don't get caught so caught up in this world that you quit focusing on the fact that it's fixing to be over before you can blink your eyes. I wish I could find one witness in this building that could tell me that life goes by so fast that I don't even know what happened. And we put so much focus on this. He says, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for what? Wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. God has not destined us for wrath. These Thessalonians sang and shout because they heard and they believed this message and this message alone. Jesus delivers us from wrath to come. They looked ahead. They didn't look at this world. They didn't sing and shout because He gave them everything. Matter of fact, He was taking everything away from them. Go back to Acts chapter 17 and read it. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 where it talks about the plundering, how they gladly accepted the plundering of their goods. They didn't sing and shout because all of a sudden I'm a Christian and now my life is so full of, of peace and joy and my life is so full uh, of blessings and all my financial burdens have went away. Exactly the opposite. And yet they received this gospel with joy of the Holy Spirit. And the message that they heard was Jesus delivers us from wrath to come. They received it in affliction. So they didn't treat the gospel as a magic genie bottle that made this life full of puppy dogs and rainbows. They sang and shout about the gospel of Jesus Christ because they understood that it saved them from wrath to come. Let's focus on that a little bit. I want to quote John Piper in this for just a minute. This is a quote. He said, It seems to me that many gospel preachers today have very little confidence that this message that Jesus delivers from the wrath to come can be heard by contemporary people as good news. It seems that modern people lose little sleep over the impending wrath of God. 
It's not a matter of discussion at their workplaces or at their family tables. It's not prominent in the news. To bring it up in a conversation seems so strange that people might think you are cultic or even unstable. Very few people want to talk about the impending wrath to come. Don't we want to focus on the love of God, right? And don't get me wrong, we should focus on the love of God, absolutely. But how can you sing and shout about the love of God unless you know how He loved you and what He saved you from? Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. In the Bible, Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else did. He referred to hell as a real place. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, Jesus is actually talking about um, if something um, is coming against you and if someone is threatening your life or if your life is threatened because of your faith, He says, don't fear those who kill the body but, the, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in where? A quote from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's don't talk about hell, right? Let's don't talk about the wrath to come. Let's talk about the love of God. Jesus spoke more about hell than most any other subject He spoke about. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. In other words, fear the one whose wrath is coming. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 40 through 43. He says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Here again, Jesus says very plainly, there is a heaven that the righteous who are in the Son of God will go to, and there is a hell who the lawless and the sinners who are not saved by the grace of God We'll go to Mark chapter 9. And there's so many, I can't go over all of them with you this morning for lack of time. Mark 9, 43. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled with two hands than to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. So there again, without going any further, he describes in graphic details. He says this is a fire that burns. It never consumes though. It doesn't quit consuming. Think about this for a minute. He, he describes it in one place as an undying worm that eats away, but it never consumes you. It just keeps eating away at you. He describes it as a place of, of dark loneliness, eternal dark punishment. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, he actually says concerning the sheep and the goats, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you curse, into... What's that next word? Eternal fire. What does eternal mean? Guys, I'm not trying to be some preacher that just pounds the pulpit up here this morning and, and tries to scare you. But listen, do you believe this is the Word of God? Do you believe that what it says is true? 
If that is the case, then I have a responsibility and a duty to not hold any of the Word of God back from you, but to share with you the full counsel of it so that no one's blood is on my hands when we stand before God that day. Listen, if we're going to have hearts like these Thessalonians that sing and shout about the good news of Christ, we have to have an understanding that Jesus delivers us from a wrath that is to come, and we have to understand what that means for us. God warns us of this wrath to come by showing us a revealed wrath. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, I'd like for you to look at that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is what? Revealed. What does it mean when something is revealed? It means you can see it, right? In other words, God is not just telling you from His Word, Hey, my wrath is coming. I just expect you to trust it and believe it. He says, No, I'm putting evidence out there for you to see that my wrath is coming. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animal and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And look at this. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So here Paul tells us in Romans that God's wrath is being revealed right now, and the reason why His wrath is here and the reason why His wrath is coming is because we suppress the truth about God. In other words, he said, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. All you got to do is look at creation. Go outside at night and look up in the sky. Just look up. Watch the sun rise. Watch the ocean come in. Look at a mountain in front of you. Go stand in front of the Grand Canyon. He said His invisible attributes are clearly seen, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one has an excuse. But here's the problem. Instead of honoring Him as God and worshiping Him, we decided we wanted to worship and serve the created things and put Him on the back burner. And because of that, His wrath is coming. And His wrath is being revealed to us. So how is it revealed? Well, number one, it's revealed in universal death. In Romans chapter 5, verse 15 through 17, this is what it says, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. And look what he calls death. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So here he calls death God's judgment on the trespass of man. He says in verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned, through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that you see here is that death is a judgment. And here's the thing about it. It's not an instant death. But everything in this creation is dying. I don't have to convince you of that. Look around you this morning. How many of you are a day older today than you were yesterday? How many of you feel a day older today than you did yesterday? It don't take a whole lot to convince you that this world is dying and God put death here so that you would be able to look at it and go, something's not right. And He said, here's the reason I put it there, to reveal my wrath. I wanted you to see that my wrath is coming so that you have the opportunity to do what? Turn away from it. To run back to Him, to Jesus Christ, to be saved from this wrath. This is just the first death. Everyone in all of this creation will die the first death. The Bible says that when Jesus comes again, He says, Behold, I make all things new. All things, all of creation will be made new. So... Universal death is one way that we see the wrath of God. Another way is universal suffering. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 23. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong scripture. Romans chapter, one, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation. All creation is waiting right now. Those trees outside that are dying and come to life and dying and come to life. And all of these animals that are cursed and they didn't sin, but they're dying and they're suffering this suffering is universal no matter where you look at. It's all of creation and all of creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. They're waiting on your redemption because the day that you're made new, guess what creation gets? Behold, I make all things new. John said, I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. The creation waits for the eager, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And here's why. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, the, the creation was placed under uselessness. It was cursed. Do you remember what God said to Adam whenever Adam sinned? And he called Adam into account for it. And he said, cursed is the ground for your sake. I'm cursing all of creation for your sake. Universal suffering. He said, in thorns and thistles, you'll work to get your bread. In the sweat of your brow and in your toil, 
you will work to get your bread. Universal suffering. It means this. You may work your whole life to retire and enjoy life. And the day after you retire, you have a stroke and you're paralyzed. Ain't that something? It means the farmer may plant his crops and the food, and he's waiting on the food to come up. And right before it comes up, the flood comes and washes it all away. It was useless. It was futile. It was in vain. You build the house of your dreams and a tornado comes and, and blows it away or an airplane falls on it and your insurance, cover, your insurance policy won't cover it. It means that you try hard and you plan well, but sometimes in this world, because it's cursed and because it's, it's been placed under futility, you try hard and you plan well, but sometimes it all just gets blown away. That's the world that you're investing in. That's the world that you're trying to make be your best life now. How many of you really believe that your best life is now? I'm not saying that we can't aspire and that we can't, we can't uh, uh, enjoy things of this world. I'm telling you that too many of us are like these other Thessalonians that are saying peace and security. And we're investing our lives in this world and not the next. So no matter what you do in this world in the end, it's all futile. Suffering and misery in this life is inevitable. But according to verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in what? In hope. God said, cursed is the ground for your sake. I want you to look at this world. I want your crops to get washed away. I want your house to burn down. I want all of this suffering to hit you and you look at it and go, something is not right with this place. Because it's not. The wrath of God is coming. It's God's way of revealing His wrath to you. The, the, one of the last ways that God reveals His wrath to you. Human behavior grows more evil every day. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Human behavior grows more evil every day. Would you agree with that? Look at this. Romans 1.28 And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... Ain't that what many of us are guilty of? Since we did not see fit to acknowledge God, here's what God did. God gave them up to a debased mind to do the things that ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteous evil covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They do not, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practiced them. Here's what God said. God said, another way that I'm revealing my wrath to you is this. I let you have your way. You don't want to retain me in your knowledge? You don't want to follow God? Okay. I'm going to let you have your way. 
Anybody in here ever suffered the consequences of you having your own way? Let me ask you this. Anybody in here ever suffered the consequences of somebody else having their own way? We always ask the question, why would God allow that? Why did God, why did God let this happen? And how could He not protect this child? And, and, and how is it that he, could, that he wouldn't do this? Listen, here's what God is saying to you. I want to show you a glimpse of what a world looks like when you have your way. Look around you. What does that world look like? That is God revealing His wrath to you. He wants you to look at it and go, I don't want my way. I don't want us to have our way. I want God to have His way. Because a world where we have our way just grows more and more evil every stinking day. And that's no world. But these things are only God's revealing His wrath to us. He wants us to see these things. But the reason He wants you to see these things is because He wants you to have the opportunity right now to turn away from it. See, Jesus told us about the final wrath to come. As bad as these things are, how many of you hate death? You've experienced death and it has broken you. Right? It has broken you. You don't know, you, no, you don't know. You know that you will never be the same because of how you have experienced death. And as bad as that is, it is only a glimpse of the revealing of the wrath of God. How many of you have experienced suffering and misery in this world because of the cursed creation? And as bad as that is, it is only a glimpse of the wrath of God. How many of you have experienced the consequences of us having our own way? And as bad as that is, it is only a glimpse of the wrath of God. But Jesus warns us of the coming wrath, the wrath that He saves us from. We're all going to experience this wrath. It's the revealed wrath. But the final wrath, you don't have to experience. So what did Jesus have to say about it? Very quickly. The final wrath of God is eternal. It has no end. You know, you know why some people commit suicide? Because they can't take it anymore. Because for many of them, all hope is lost. They can't see any hope. And for them, it's an end of their suffering in their mind. It's not, they don't have to feel this pain and this hurt anymore. But what if I were to tell you that in the final wrath to come, there is no end. Even if you wanted to commit suicide in this place, you can't. It is eternal and it has no end. Mark chapter 9 verse 43 through 48 one more time. Got it. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. To the, what's that word say? Unquenchable. What does it mean when something is unquenchable? It means it cannot be put out, correct? It don't stop. It is eternal. It has 
no end. There are actually two times. Can you go all the way to verse 48 for me on that? Mark chapter 9 verse 48. Where their worm does not die and the fire is what? Is not quenched. You cannot die. <laughs> you actually are fitted. You think about this. And I, I, I could show you the scriptures but for sake of time I'm not going to. In eternal life, God has to give you a new body fitted for eternal life, right? Well, guess what you get as your reward for eternal death? A body that is fitted that will never be able to die. But it will always be dying. It is eternal and it never ends. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 through 46. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into... What's that next word? Eternal fire. These are the words of Jesus Christ. This is not your preacher trying to come up with something to scare you. This is in hopes that as Christians you'll look at this and go, God... Thank you. Thank you that you have delivered me from wrath to come. Because I, I have experienced suffering to the degree in this life that I can't imagine what the wrath to come is going to be. And at least in this life, there's an end in sight, guys. There's hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel right now. But there's not in this time. It is eternal and it has no end. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 and 42. The second thing about the final wrath of God. The final wrath of God will be terrible, indescribable pain. Man, I've seen some people in this life that have dealt with pain. I've seen... Emotional pain. Many times I believe that emotional pain is worse than the physical pain people have to deal with. But I have seen pain that literally breaks people. It drives them to that point to where they honestly think about, I, I can't go on. I can't keep doing this. I can't take this. This, this cuts too deep and it is too hard. I have seen people in so much physical pain that it drove them to the point they said, I, I, I can't handle it anymore. I cannot take it any longer. I can't do it. The final wrath of God will be terrible, indescribable pain. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom and cause all sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now a lot of people look at this right there and they say, well, he's just trying to use symbolism. But let me ask you a question. Do you know why we use symbols? It's because symbols can only get close to the reality. Words cannot explain the reality, so we have to use a symbol of some kind. When God 
tried to explain heaven to you from the Word of God. He used things that only you could relate to. Gold, streets of gold and pearly gates and, 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 and mansions in, in heaven. And, and He used things that you could relate to. But then He comes and He tells us in, I think it was um, 1 Corinthians, He said, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, and it's never even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for you. In other words, there are no words to describe to you what heaven is going to be like. But on the same token, he uses symbols and he said there are no words to describe to you what the terrible pain is going to be in eternity. It is indescribable. only thing I can tell you is there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 24 verse 51. I promise I'm coming to an end. That's all I've got left right there. Matthew 24 verse 51. Stay with me. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is describing how the master comes back and he finds his servant disobeying him. And he says that master when he comes back and finds him disobeying him, he's going to cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. It's going to be like somebody is constantly cutting you into pieces, but you never die. And the only thing you can do is weep and gnash your teeth. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. He says, While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. Do you know what he means when he says outer darkness? He's talking about darkness that you literally cannot see your hand if you were to put it right up in front of your face. So he says the wrath of God is basically going to be like this. Here's the symbol he uses. It's going to be like being totally blind forever. The final wrath of God, and I've got so many other scriptures, Revelation 6, 15 and 16, Revelation 20, 15, many throughout the Gospels. We don't have time to go through them all. But here's the ending, number three and the last one. Probably the worst thing about the final wrath of God to me is the knowledge that it was escapable. Here I am sitting in eternal, terrible, indescribable torment in a body that will never die, that always burns and will never consume for eternity. And it was escapable. Go with me if you would to Luke chapter 16. Verse 19 through 31. We'll read it fast. He says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, or to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried... And in Hades, or in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to just cool my tongue. Remember, he has a body. 
that never dies. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner his bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great gulf or a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Listen to this. I have five brothers. Send him, send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to my brother's house, to my father's house, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Do you know what, what the rich man has just realized right here? This thing was escapable. <laughs> here I am in anguish and torment, and I did not have to be here. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. They have pastors, teachers that preach it exactly as it said. They won't believe Him. They won't believe even if someone rose from the dead. Probably the worst thing about the final wrath of God is the knowledge that it was escapable from my invitation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. Listen to what he says. Because if you confess with your mouth a public profession of faith, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what do them last words say? I got good news this morning, guys. Jesus delivers from the wrath to come. The evidence is all around you. God's revealing it to you. And He wants you to see it so that you will turn away from it. And you'll say, I don't want any part of the final wrath to come. Verse 10, Romans 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. For everyone, verse 13, look at this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. 
You know why we don't sing and shout over the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we have not fully understood yet just exactly what we have been saved from. I pray this morning you think about that. I pray most importantly that you ask this question. Am I saved? Have I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have I believed in my heart that God raised Him from the dead? And do I trust with full assurance of faith that because He promised that those who do that will be saved, then I will be saved by His promise. And my hope is in that. If that's you this morning, you can't celebrate and sing and shout about the gospel until you have done that in your life. I pray this morning is the morning you come and you take me by the hand and you say, Pastor, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. But I know I have to be saved. And if I'm with somebody, Brother Nick is right here. Come grab him by the hand and say the same thing. Pastor, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. But I want to be saved from the wrath to come. And then if me and him are both tied up, you come and sit your butt down on this altar and just start praying until we get free and I'll come see you. But I pray this morning that you have heard the gospel and that you understand that you don't have to experience the wrath to come. That he will save you. He promised he would. Y'all stand this morning. Don't delay. You ain't got to wait on no song to be sung. This is not about that. This is between you and God. This is about you opening up and saying, this is what I need. I have to have this. I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I want to do that today. If that's you today. Listen, you're not promised tomorrow. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to scare you. How old was the little boy they buried yesterday? Parents, teenagers, teenagers, every teenager in the room, look at me, every teenager. <laughs> I wish I could tell you your promise tomorrow. But there are witnesses in here today that will tell you that our teenagers are not promised tomorrow. I pray that today that you have made it right with Him, no matter what age or stage of life you're in. I pray today is the day that you put your faith and your trust in Him. If you need Him, come up here and take us by the hand. Put your faith in Him today.